Barack Obama didn't just find himself by accident in a pub with a pint in his hand. That didn't happen. That happened because the industry made certain that it was going to happen. Welcome to HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing. My name is Noreen Turley and I'm delighted to have Sheila Gilhene here with me today. Sheila is the CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland and Sheila One of the key priorities of the alcohol programme in the HSE is to reduce alcohol harm. And I know that Alcohol Action Ireland is one of the partners to help us do this. So I'd just like to talk to you today a little bit about your role in Alcohol Action Ireland and what you're all about. Surely. Well, firstly, lovely to be here and thank you very much for the invitation. Our role is really to try and research the policy solutions and the frameworks around which we might help to reduce alcohol harm and then to advocate for those solutions to be implemented in in an Irish context. So we would look at countries around the world. We would work very closely with, for example, the WHO and other organisations to try and see, well, what have other countries done? This is not a problem unique to Ireland. What have other countries done and what could maybe we learn from other countries to see about trying to reduce that that burden of alcohol harm that we have here in, in Ireland? And, you know, sometimes when we look at these things, it can seem overwhelming as a problem. It can seem like, oh my God, you know, um, alcohol-related harm, whether we're talking about admissions to hospital, whether we're talking about assaults in the street, whether we're talking about the 200,000 children who are growing up with alcohol harm in, in the home, a very hidden but very devastating, you know, trauma that that can be there. It can seem overwhelming. But what I actually often take great heart in is looking to other countries and seeing what they did and how they, they managed to reduce the harms. And what the WHO would say is there's three fundamental ways in which you can turn things around where you can not exactly turn off the tap but you can at least reduce the pressure a bit and they would be controls on pricing on marketing and on availability and when we look at countries that have actually you know introduce some of those controls whether through taxation whether through bans on on alcohol advertising we see that the level of alcohol use does go down and with every drop (laughs) of of alcohol use that we have, you see a corresponding drop in in the harms that that, that would come from that. And Sheila, we have so much evidence to show that alcohol use is deeply embedded in the social landscape and in the Irish culture. So I wondered, what would you say about that? Would you say that that's something, when you say drop by drop, we're going to try and improve it? Do you think that that's true, that it's completely embedded and it's going to be so difficult to do? Or is that a misconception? Well, you know, again, I always go back and look at the facts and look at where we were and where we've come from, and where we are now. So if you were to go back into the 1960s and 70s, we were drinking about a third less than what we're drinking at the moment. We were drinking and statistically we, we were somewhere around six litres of pure alcohol per capita. And that's just a convenient way of, of measuring it. And then. There was an explosion of availability under a huge, you know, like where we were getting off licenses, we were getting alcohol being sold in supermarkets and it was very widely available and it was very cheap as well. It really, really dropped in in price. So by the early 2000s, it it had gone up. It actually had reached something like about 14 litres per capita. So that was a massive change. But actually, one of the things that I look at that and kind of go, well, you know, if it was six back in the the 60s and 70s and now it went up to 14, now we're down, we've, we've dropped down to just under 11. You can see that you can have these changes and these changes don't happen by accident. They happen because of the environment in which you're in. It's not so much that, you know, we have a culture of drinking. What we have is an environment which is saturated with alcohol marketing 
telling us that our culture is about alcohol, is about drinking. So do you think that we have adapted that picture of the Irish person always in the pub, always drinking, and the marketing has really promoted that? I mean, each time we have a worldwide leader come into the country, they always stop at some of our hostilities. Yes, indeed. And they they are. And those things don't happen by accident. They didn't just, Barack Obama didn't just find himself by accident in a pub with a, with a pint in his hand. That didn't happen. That happened because the industry made certain that it was going to happen. So this is all part of the marketing ploy that's in, in operation. And, you know, when we're sitting as consumers or people at home or whatever, we're we're not privy to the machinations that have gone on that that ensured that these dignitaries or whoever were were somehow, you know, going yeah. to be photographed there. But it happens because you have an industry which is, you know, firstly enormously wealthy. You know, these these are global enterprises. They make massive profits and they use those profits, <laughs> you know, to further enhance their marketing and, you know, everything, everything that's, that, that yeah. goes around that. I mean, here in Ireland, you know, on an annual basis, we're exposed to something like about 115 millions, million euros worth of alcohol advertising. And that's just the straightforward stuff, the stuff that you see, you know, alcohol ads on TV, alcohol ads in your paper or billboards, stuff like that, the, the, the stuff that is quantifiable. That doesn't count all all the stuff like the sports marketing that you would see in sponsorship and, yeah. you know, sponsorship of music festivals or whatever and stuff like that. So there's loads of others. So, you know, we're so used to it. We're so submerged in it that mm. it's normalized for us. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of a little bit hard to see the wood from the trees. But but you take a step back out and you look and see, well, what do other countries do? And there are other yeah. countries who have complete bans on alcohol okay. advertising and they have correspondingly, much lower levels of alcohol use. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to ask you about then. What are we actually doing about it? And we all know about the Public Health Alcohol Act, or we've heard about it. So what is it and what are the different aspects of it? And I know one of them is that we've introduced this year was the minimum unit pricing. So tell us a little bit about minimum unit pricing. Is it working? Is it not working? Do you think it has made a difference or will make a difference? Okay. So the Act, firstly, just to go back to it, is a series of measures and it goes back to those things about controls on pricing, on advertising and on, on availability. And so it's a suite of measures, each of which are quite modest in their own right. But taken as a package, they have an overall aim of reducing alcohol use by about 20%. And we bring it down to what, what would be known as the OECD average of about 9.1. And that's that that was a target that was set when the measures were first been put together. And we hoped to have reached that by 2020. We haven't. We're not we're not near that. We're about 20% above where we should be. But the, the measures within that that act are things like minimum unit pricing, which came in this year, but there's also things like restrictions on outdoor advertising. You can't have alcohol ads within 200 metres of a school and you can't have them on public transport. There's also some restrictions on the availability of alcohol in supermarkets, for example, so that there's now a structural separation you know, that's not 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 hugely as behind swing doors, you know, that that's there. But, you know, something that's, you know, just puts it off a little bit to the side, which is trying to give the message that this is no ordinary product. It's not the same as going in to buy a litre of milk as yeah. it is to buy a bottle of wine. It's to try and really make a little bit of a difference. And then there's so those are things which have come into place. But then there's other aspects of the act which have not yet been implemented. And they would be things like controls on the content of alcohol advertisements. So at the moment you see an ad it sells you a myth. It doesn't sell you a product as such. It tells you, have have the drink, you know, have a good time, meet the girl, have enjoy the music, 
whatever, stuff like that. When, when the controls on the content come in, that will be stripped out of it. And so you will have a, a purely factual thing. This is the name of the product. This is where you can buy it. This is the price of it. Th- th- things so like Sheila, that. do you think that people, sorry to interrupt you there, but do you think that people realize that alcohol is a drug? No, they don't. So they see this lovely picture. Yeah. They're sold this image of, you know, like you said. Conviviality. Yeah. You know, there's so many different types of ads and they're all targeted to particular audiences. So for somebody like me, for example, you know, at my age, and you see this all the time, like on, on, on my phone or whatever, you know, these, yeah. the sorts of ads that I get are very much about you're a woman, you deserve to have a drink, you've had a, mm. a tough week, the children, whatever, stuff like this. So you get that kind of thing. It even, I mean, some of it is so like, gosh, like, let's try and make, you know, gin a pink kind of a thing, you know, and you, you get this pinkification, you know, of that mm. when, when we're trying to, you know, move towards different targets. So, you know, er, every every ad is put together in such a way as to appeal to a, a very, very particular cohort. And, and it's very clever. You know, it, it often yeah. appeals. I, I look at these ads and I think, mm, yeah, that does look nice. You know, even yeah. even with all of my, you know, knowledge of so this, what, you know. So what do you say to people that say, well, you know, alcohol auction Ireland, they're, they're anti-alcohol. We're certainly not about prohibition. You know, we've never, never at all said that. What we're saying is we're trying to reduce the level of alcohol harm. And we know that in Ireland, we're drinking in a way that unfortunately leads to a lot of harm. We're the eighth highest binge drinkers in, in the world. And, you know, so the we, evidence is there. The evidence is I there. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's it, everywhere. It, it is absolutely everywhere. I mean, people, you know, you've only got to lift, you, know, you go out in the evening, you know, a lot of people feel very uneasy on, on the streets. You know, that, mm. that would be the thing. Anybody working in the health service, for example, weekends, particularly in ED departments, you know, they, they know, they know the pressure that, that they're mm. put under simply by, you know, that level of falls, accidents, assaults, things, things that would be there. But we also know there's something like about 1500 hospital beds are used every single day in relation yeah. to alcohol. That's about 13% of our beds. And when we hear about, you know, a crisis mm. in beds, like when we hear that on a, on a daily basis, you know, pressure on beds, mm. but we don't hear that, you know, 1500 beds are being used yeah. every single day. I can concur with that because it's not so long ago that I did work in a so yeah. the alcohol-related injuries and alcohol-related incidences that arrived in any, particularly like you say at the weekend, was just incredible. Yeah. So, and the other thing when you, we talk about hospitals and we talk about health and alcohol, I'm not sure if people really, or do you think people really realise that alcohol is a carcinogen? No, we know, for example, that a thousand alcohol-related cancers are diagnosed every single year, but actually people's level of knowledge of that is is yeah. very low. And we would have done polling and the, the HSE actually has, has done very good work on that. And, you know, the people have a beginning to get a bit of a sense, I think about half of, of people in a recent survey actually that was done, you know, through, through the HSE, you know, would have said they have some idea of it, but they don't actually realise that actually any amount of alcohol yeah. can cause cancer. They're a little bit inclined to think, oh, well, that would only be if you were drinking very, very heavily. Mm. But actually we have evidence now, the WHO would have had a report out at the start of this year, which would show that of those alcohol-related cancers that I mentioned, about half of them arise from what would be called light to moderate alcohol drinking. Wow. So so about one or two drinks a day actually, you know, yeah. really does increase your level of risk. If we go back to the Public Health Alcohol Act and then we look at the licensing laws, and what's happening with that. Can you just explain that a little bit? Because I'm a bit confused. On one hand, we have the minimum unit pricing. And then we're talking about sporting organizations and alcohol. And then we have this licensing law, which to me, but you can explain, Sheila, it's alcohol, you're going to be able to buy alcohol 
everywhere, at any time of the day, 24-7, 365 days a year. I mean, how does, how is that working? I'm, I'm confused. Well, you know, so just to go back to the Alcohol Act, which hasn't been fully implemented. So there's, you know, a number of measures have come into place. For example, the, the minimum unit pricing that, that you mentioned, which is, is really good. And it basically says that alcohol can't be sold beneath a certain price. So basically a, a standard drink, like a half pint of beer, has to cost at least a euro. So that came in last year. We don't have data yet back on, you know, how, how good that has has been. We do know from modelling data that we would expect to see a reduction in things like hospital admissions from, from alcohol. And there is a little bit of work that has been done on that. And when we have the results of that, I'll be delighted to come back and chat a bit more uh, about that. But as I say, not everything has been introduced. So we also haven't had the broadcast watershed on alcohol advertisements. So basically alcohol ads shouldn't be shown before uh, 9 p.m. On, on TV. That hasn't been introduced. Alongside that, we have another piece of legislation which is just being introduced at the moment. It's called the Sale of Alcohol Bill. And this is a, a bill which is about when can alcohol be, be sold. And this sort of, you know, points to, I would really say there's a policy incoherence across government. So you have the Public Health Alcohol Act, which came out of the Department of Health. Yes. The Sale of Alcohol Bill will have come out of the Department of Justice because that's the department that look after the licensing of alcohol venues. So if a pub wants to sell alcohol, if a place wants to sell alcohol, they have to have a license to, to do so. And the legislation around that has been in need of updating. There's no doubt about that. There's been a hodgepodge of, of you know, various acts and the sale of alcohol bill is trying to pull all that together and streamline it. No problem at all with that. And I to yeah. totally get that. At the same time as all the streamlining was happening, Suddenly there was a, oh, well, actually, we'll also increase licensing hours mm. and we'll say that pubs can now stay open to 12.30 and it can make it easier for you to get an extension so that you can stay open to 2.30 and that mm. nightclubs can stay open till 6 a.m. And also that lots of other venues can quite easily get an alcohol license. So, you know, cinemas, galleries, museums, any sort of place at, at all that wants to can much, much more easily get a, a license so to do that. So on one hand, we have alcohol behind a barrier in the supermarket or whatever. And on the other hand, we're making it available. Yeah. It's a complete policy contradiction is, is really what we would be saying there. So this is at the early stage. So what the it's 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 at a bill stage. This is what okay. we call the, the general scheme has been, has been uh, published on it. We've certainly been making representations about that to the Iraq, this committee on justice and to, uh, to to the Minister for Justice. And, you know, it would, like we would hope that that public health concern will will be heard. Mm. And and I really do come back to this kind of thing of there is a difficulty when you have multiple different departments dealing with a, a particular topic. And so in this case, mm. we're talking about alcohol. We have health, who, in my opinion, are the people picking up the tab, you know, for other other areas, you know, that are there. And we have justice, uh, you know, who are looking at it from a different perspective, I suppose, is really what I would say. You know, they're about an administrative process about what's there. Whereas, you know, from a health kind of thing, we're kind of going, oh, my gosh, we have our yeah. 1500 beds and, and, like, and all the costs that, that go with it. And in my opinion, actually, what's really needed is an overarching body that would look at all aspects of, of alcohol. So again, when I come back to the idea of, of the restrictions on alcohol advertising, at the moment, there is this broadcast watershed. We're not supposed to see alcohol advertisements, but but that hasn't come into play yet. And the, the reason that we've been given for this is that, oh, this needs consultation with the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. So there's a, so another body, another yes. government department. 
And it's kind of like, oh, my God, how much consultation do we need? You know, yes. four years on and we still haven't got to it. But there's this unwieldy nature of, you know, m many different departments having an interest or having some element of, you know, that, yeah. that would come into play. And do we have evidence then to show that if alcohol is available until 6 a.m. in the morning and is available in all of these venues that have been suggested, that it does cause more harm or does it just spread out the harm? over 24 hours rather than between two and four when everybody comes out to nightclubs or pubs or whatever. So is there is there evidence to show that it does make a difference? There's multiple evidence from okay. multiple different jurisdictions that if you increase licensing hours, you increase the availability, you increase the harm. So I'll just give you two examples. In Norway, they would find that for every extra hour of licensing that you would have, you would see a 16% increase in alcohol assaults. In wow, 16%. Yeah. In Amsterdam, so there's criminal assaults. So in Amsterdam, they would have found that every extra hour of licensing was leading to something like a 36% increase in alcohol injuries. You know, wow. so we, we have that. And there's many, many jurisdictions okay. I, I could point to. And indeed, we have been making this case that it it's very clear it, it is there. A lot of times people say, oh, well, surely we'll be spreading it out. Actually, we're not spreading it out. We're just increasing it. We're just making more of it. And we can look to actually the UK, for example, who also had extended licensing hours, would have found that all you did was you shifted it into later in, in the night and you had more harms occurring at a later night. So yeah. you're having even more pressure on you know, policing, on ambulance services, on, on hospitals. And is there a time scale for the answer to this whole well, process? Is there a time scale? How long is it going to take before they make a decision? Mm -hmm. So wh where we're at at the moment is it's the, the bill is at the, what they call a general scheme. So it's been subject to pre-legislative scrutiny by the Iraq this committee. And they're looking at that right now at, at the moment and then make, make a report back. But the Minister for Justice, who introduced this in, in the first place, Helen McEntee, would have said that she was very keen to have this bill done and dusted by the summer of 2023. OK, so it's imminent. I mean, well, it, the outcome of it. It certainly is. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, there's such a push to do it. Whereas when I go back yeah. and I look at the Public Health Alcohol Act, you know, it took three years to get through uh, mm. the Oireachtas was finally passed in 2018. It was the most contested bill in the history of the state. You know, and this is an incredible thing. The most yeah. contested bill in the history of state took three years to get through, took a long time even to get to bill stage, three years yeah. to get through parliament, was finally adopted, you know, with actually the support of all the, the, the main political parties. And that was 2018. And here we are for nearly, nearly, you know, four and a half years on, and it's not fully implemented. And yet we have this sale of alcohol bill, which is like, oh, gosh, we need to get this through in ASAP. Yeah. And mm. it's just kind of going, the, the policy mismatch here is it's quite very staggering. Yeah. yeah. So, Sheila, you did mention earlier that the research has shown that the average person in Ireland aged 15 and over drank 10.8 litres of pure alcohol a year. And that's the equivalent of either 40 bottles of vodka, 113 bottles of wine or 436 pints of beer. And that's startling. It, it is. It's a very large amount. And in fact, it's actually even more than that because those are average amounts and 25% of the population don't drink at all. So if you were to look at it solely from the drinker, you know, if you were to you know, take take out those, it's actually much greater than, than that, uh, even those startling figures that, that's there. But, you know, we're in an environment where that's seen as normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, and... It's only when you take a step away from you kind of go, gosh, that's actually quite a lot. If you were to look at our low risk drinking guidelines, which, you know, for Ireland are pitched at about 17 standard drinks for a man, 
11 for a woman, which actually I will say that those levels are quite high on an international basis. Anytime, you know, these these low risk guidelines have been looked at by any country, they've always come down because with more and more information. But even even if we were just to keep it at that, at that level, we would need to be reducing the level at which we drink by at least 35 percent to bring it down to those low risk drinking guidelines. God, uh, and that's a that's a quite significant amount, isn't it? So you, you definitely think that, or I'm I'm taken from you that you say the visibility and the marketing of alcohol is causing confusion, and it's really normalising alcohol. And so when we talk about the marketing of alcohol, and we see alcohol everywhere, we see it in sports grounds at the moment. It's it's everywhere when we turn on the TV to watch sports. And how does that happen, or was that not part of the alcohol bill? to stop things like that. Yeah. So if we go back actually to 2012, there was a great report that came out basically looking at, you know, how could we try and reduce the, the alcohol, the level of alcohol harm in, in the country. And one of the one of the key recommendations within that report was that there should be a complete ban on alcohol sports marketing. And that just didn't make its way through to the final product. What we actually got out of the Alcohol Act was very minimal restrictions. So the restriction that there is around alcohol marketing uh, on, on, in relation to sports is that you shouldn't see an alcohol advertisement on the field of play. So that would be literally on the grass, on the green grass or on the goalposts that, that would be there. It allows for alcohol still to be advertised all around the hoardings. And what we have actually seen is that even on the field of play, we're seeing alcohol companies put up zero, zero uh, alcohol brands as a, oh, well, we're allowed to al advertise, you know, the, the, the zero version of it. And, you know, when you look at a brand that has a zero product, the branding is identical to the alcoholic version of it. So I would say that this is, you know, e even that very minimal thing is has been watered down even yeah. even further. You and know. Sheila, I know that we're looking at labelling as well at the moment. And where are we at with that? So labelling was also a part of the, the Public Health Alcohol Act. And, you know, again, a fairly modest uh, requirement. So at, at the moment, when you buy any alcohol drink, you don't have, there's no statutory thing to tell you what's in it or, you know, how many calories or anything at all like that. What the Alcohol Act does is provides for a label to tell you, you know, firstly, how many calories are in it, how much alcohol is in it in, in grams, give you a warning about that alcohol is, you know, can cause fatal cancers and that it can cause liver disease and also a warning about uh, drinking in pregnancy, not not mm. to drink in, in pregnancy and a link to ask about alcohol as, as well. So that's very minimal information. You know, it's factual information. It has taken four years for these regulations to get from having been passed in Parliament to the actually, let's see what this label will look like. Where we're currently at is that, that there's a there's an EU process that had to be notified to, to EU and is now actually also having to be notified to the World Trade Organization. It has been met with what I can only describe as howls of protest from the alcohol industry. And this has been well orchestrated right around the world. Mm. And the industry have done this with every single labelling thing that has ever come out. If we, we look at Australia and New Zealand, they have very recently just passed legislation that basically made, made regulations that uh, say that it has to be a pregnancy warning on alcohol products uh, there. That took decades, literally 
decades. But I suppose because they have introduced it, I suppose it can be done. And that gives you hope that these things can be done because it seems like a huge mountain to climb in relation to alcohol and all of the legislation. I mean, every single piece of legislation has taken so long. Do you get despondent about the whole thing? Sometimes I do. But then actually, I I always try and look and see, well, where else have they done it and what has been done? So France, for example, it has the pregnancy warning. USA has it and Australia and New Zealand have it. Actually, South Korea also have warnings about cancer on on products there. So, you know, there, there is hope for this. And actually, Norway are now looking to see if they want to introduce cancer warnings as that. So Ireland at the moment is leading the field in Europe around the, the cancer warnings. But Very other good. countries are starting to look at it. And I do take great, great hope and heart from that. And I'll tell you, the other thing I take great heart in is when I see the industry jumping up and down about something, that tells me we must be doing something yeah, right here. Yeah, well, that's, you know? that's, that's true, actually. That's true. So, Sheila, we were talking about sports and sporting events earlier and the primary focus of a sports venue or a sports club should be the promotion of health and well-being. And I've always assumed that once your children are involved or young people are involved in sports, then they're less likely, you would hope that they're less likely to start drinking at an early age because they're so consumed with their sporting. But I'm not sure if that's a misunderstanding. Unfortunately, here in Ireland and the research would show that if you're involved in sporting activity, you're more likely to start drinking at an earlier age. I was quite shocked myself, actually, when I saw mm. the, the the data on this and there was uh, there is very good evidence about it. But actually, when we take a step back, it shouldn't shouldn't surprise us because of the amount of sports marketing that that we're exposed to. So just give you one example. You know, we, we did some research looking at the, the Six Nations and uh, sort of counting the amount of alcohol references that you would see. So you you think you're watching a game of rugby. You're actually seeing an alcohol reference every 15 seconds. You're 15 watching, seconds. Mm-hmm, every 15 seconds, there's an alcohol reference, you know, either through, you know, through, seeing it in an advertisement, seeing through a flash on the screen every 15 seconds. So, Sheila, on that, because there's so much sponsorship with sport, do you really think that sports can survive without that sponsorship from the alcohol industry? I mean, is that why we're number one in different sports across the world, because of that sponsorship? Or what do you think about that? Well, you know, I would go back and look and see what we did about tobacco. So it used to be that you'd have seen in many sports would have been sponsored by, you know, particular uh, cigarette brands. And that got stripped out. And those sports have continued to to thrive and different countries are, are, are able to do it. So we can certainly, you know, reduce, we can certainly take alcohol out, out of the picture and those sports will not disintegrate. They will not die. There will be other sponsors will come in to take their place. Yeah. When we look at the way smoking has reduced in Ireland, I suppose, it does give hope for, oh. and we never thought that would happen. <clears throat> no, and we had, you know, so only maybe like 30 years ago, I think more than 50% of the population would have would have smoked. We're down to about, you know, I think it's around 16, 17%, you know, would, would smoke at the moment. And what did they do? They did exactly what the WHO would say are the best buys, they increased the price, they banned the advertising of it and they reduced the availability of okay. it. So when you go into a shop, you don't see it for sale. It is there for sale. It's not a ban on the product. You mm. can buy it, but it's not in your face. Yeah. In the way that alcohol is. And that's what we're trying to do around to help reduce alcohol harm in Ireland is to put all of those things in place as part of the alcohol bill. It is. And I think, you know, when when we look at what works and what doesn't work, industry is always very inclined to say, oh, it's all about personal responsibility. Drink responsibly, for example, or have more education about this. You know, and the reason that they say these things is because they don't work. And we know they don't work. And one of the reasons that they don't work is that, you know, when we look, 
I mentioned earlier, we had something like about 115 million euros worth of alcohol advertising. If we were to look at the education program, so ask about alcohol and its its budget. Mm. I think last year was about 67,000 was spent, you know, on, on, on the program there. So if even we were to triple that, which would be great, and I would like that, yeah. we're not going to come anywhere near the level of exposure to alcohol marketing that you would have. So the only thing you can do there is to severely curtail it. In my opinion, I think we need to ban it because Actually, even the, the very modest curtailments that we've had, the restrictions that we've seen in, in the Alcohol Act, they've been, they've been circumvented. They're, you know, the industry will always find loopholes and ways around it. So just to come back to, you know, one particular example, when we're talking there about zero alcohol products and industry, I would say, are using them to get around the, the advertising restrictions. So one of the restrictions is that you shouldn't see alcohol advertising on public transport, on buses. Yet if you go out and you look, there's so many buses and you mm. will see zero alcohol products being advertised using identical branding to the alcohol thing. Yeah. We see it in the structural separation in shops. So we have this quite modest measure, you know, the alcohol's over here, it's behind swing doors, which are... Not very high. I mean, yeah. certainly any, any child can see above <laughs> them, you true. know, uh, yeah. or whatever. But, you know, it, it is there. But what do we actually see now? We see literally crate loads of zero alcohol products outside, you know, the stone floor to ceiling, you know, practically using identical branding to the alcohol version. So there is a big battle ahead of us. And we also have so many different areas of alcohol harm that we can discuss in relation to alcohol and brain injury, alcohol and pregnancy, the impact of alcohol and mental health. So it's just massive. And at the end of the day, alcohol is an addiction and it is a drug. And we need to get that word out there and we need to, as much as possible, try and prevent alcohol harm to people, the individual and the people around them and to our communities. I suppose last word to you, Sheila, if you had a magic wand, what would be your number one thing? that you would implement as soon as possible? The restrictions on alcohol advertising is, is the number one thing because we are saturated in that and that prevents us from understanding and seeing the problem as, as a whole. If we strip that out, we see the product for what it is. In the way that we now look at cigarettes, we kind of go, actually, that's really not a very good product. You know, we're able to see that because we're not we're not saturated with advertisements telling us that it was cool to smoke. We need to do the same for alcohol. Thank you so much, Sheila. I really enjoyed our discussion today. We've discussed a lot about alcohol and alcohol related harm. And I think there's a lot more to discuss at a later date. But for now, I'd just like to say to people, if they want to find out more about alcohol and about this area, please go to askaboutalcohol.ie. And thank you very much, Sheila, for joining us today. Thank you.